Welcome to Cora, the Conversations podcast. Join us as we listen to stories, share ideas, and chat about life in all its complexity and glory. My dad is born in Uganda and grew up in Kenya and Tanzania, but he is ethnically half Egyptian and half American. And my mum is white Australian, but she grew up in Papua New Guinea and they met in Haifa and got married in Cyprus and then moved to Australia to start a family. This episode of Sparks of Hope features Waterford sisters-in-law, Sammy and Kiev Alexander. They are in conversation about difference, similarity, racism, love, community, and the need for all of us to relearn the value of minding each other. Hello, my name is Keeve Alexander. I'm here with my lovely sister-in-law, Sammy. Sammy has a really interesting background. She has lived in a number of different countries, but also her family, her parents before she was born, lived in a number of different countries. When I speak to Sammy about her family, I'm also aware that there are different cultures and ethnicities within her family background. So I thought it'd be really interesting to talk to Sammy a little bit more, to get to know more about her family and the experiences she has had in life. Welcome, Sammy. It's nice to talk to you. Hi, thank you for having me. Not at all. You're most welcome. So, Sammy, you have a, a really interesting familial background uh, with quite a spread of countries you have lived in. And I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, your family and, and the countries you have lived in thus far. So I was born in Australia and grew up there. I've also lived in the Czech Republic, the United Kingdom, and obviously now Ireland. My dad is born in Uganda and grew up in Kenya and Tanzania, but he is ethnically half Egyptian and half American. And my mum is white Australian, but she grew up in Papua New Guinea and they met in Haifa and got married in Cyprus and then moved to Australia to start a family. So, so nothing, nothing just simple there. <laughs> Unlike me, I'm Irish, born in Ireland of two Irish parents and I've grown up in Ireland. Uh, so it's, that's quite a, a variety you have there. It's lovely. Um, just moving on to a different topic, if you don't mind. We obviously hear a lot at the moment about Black Lives Matter. We're opening the conversation in Ireland around uh, racism. Well, it has been open for a number of years, but we're, we're having a conversation in Ireland around racism and what it means in Ireland. We have a number of different groups that can speak to that type of thing. We have, of course, members of the traveling community. We have African members of the Irish community, Asian members of the Irish community, Arab members of the Irish community. I wonder, is there, have you experienced racism in Ireland or have you come across anything like that? I do appreciate your, your very white passing. <laughs> you look quite white. You, you don't always, you it wouldn't immediately look at you and think, ah, yes, that's an Arab. I think it's something 
as as you said, like you know, my ethnicity is not immediately written on my face, so people don't necessarily know where I'm from or what my ethnicity is unless I tell them. And I think it is something that when you've experienced the rug of white privilege being pulled out from under you, you really know it exists. Um, I would say that my experiences with racism in Ireland are few and far between. But I know that it's a problem that every country has at the moment. Realistically, racial inequality is something that urgently needs to be addressed in every country in the world. It's not something that has been solved anywhere. And protests like Black Lives Matter and things like that are things that have reached boiling point because it's been years of persecution and years of feeling downtrodden and being downtrodden by the community that they are supposed to be a part of. And you can't help but have sympathy for people that have been pushed so far and that they feel like they have no recourse except to turn to this kind of frustration, you know, because they're not seeing any results. In order to have a sense of community, people need to feel valued and need to feel equally valued and not to have the kind of inequality that we see now in the world. And no individual can address that solo. It's something that we have to band together and address together. So, Sammy, you mentioned there about this rug of white privilege being pulled out from underneath you and obviously there's certain instances where that has happened in your life where you wouldn't be aware of it so I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about what those instances are I might not automatically um, think of them so it'd be really good to have some examples well um, one of the ones I remember from Australia is going to into a high school party I would have been about 16 or 17 at the time And I remember a friend of mine was bringing his new girlfriend to meet our group of friends at this party. And one of the first things he said when he got through the door before introducing her to me was, don't worry, she's only part Egyptian. Um, uh, I also can remember somebody in school uh, who later ended up getting expelled for racism uh, telling me that he, if he was going to shoot up the school, then he wouldn't shoot me because I was white enough. So, you know, there's things like that that happen throughout your life when you have a kind of ethnic background that wouldn't necessarily happen to people who are clearly of colour or people that are white. Because if you're clearly of colour, you probably would have more distinct experiences. If you're clearly white, then you probably haven't experienced those kind of things at all unless you've been friends with somebody who has. I think the worst experience I've had was actually, unfortunately, in Ireland, which was that uh, you and I were actually, you were there with me, Keeve. We were out to lunch with people and the wife of the couple was asking me some leading questions that I would honestly class as microaggressions, which uh, she was asking me questions about how black was your grandfather? Was he black, black? Which I don't even really know what that means. But, you know, these kind of questions led into her uh, laughing and saying that she remembered back when she first met me about 10 years beforehand that her husband had used a particular word in front of her that I had objected to, which is a word I would consider a racial slur, so I won't repeat it on the podcast. But when I said to her that, yes, I didn't like racial slurs and it didn't matter whether or not they 
were applicable to me personally. Immediately, the two of them got their back up and told me that the word in question was related to religion because the word in question is used commonly from pe- for people from an Islamic background. But the reality is that when you experience Islamophobia as an Arab, there is a racial prejudice to it. When people are Islamophobic, they're not picturing somebody white. They're picturing somebody of Arab origin. And it is people of Arab origin that are subjected to Islamophobia. And that can be anything from, you know, undergoing extra security checks in an airport to people being suspicious of you on transport to this kind of racial slur and unfortunately in this particular incident it did end with the husband of the couple shouting this racial slur at me in a crowded bar but I would say that by and large I think that when you use words like that I would hope that people would take the opportunity to educate you and I would hope that everybody would be open-minded enough to sit back and allow themselves to be educated rather than to say my opinion is the right one and it doesn't matter who I'm hurting with words words are only words yeah I I do remember that incident and it was probably the first time that I have ever been confronted right in front of me rather than seeing it on Facebook or you know, in the news, it was the first time something had happened right in front of me. And and you might remember I had been in the bathroom when it started. So when they were first saying, is is your granddad black or black, black? And when I came back, it shocked me to a point that my brain took a while to catch up with what was going on. So it was it was a very interesting experience for me as well and a great learning experience. And I thought I have to say, I thought you handled it very well. Um, You know, you were just very clear that this is my boundary. Don't cross it. They chose to cross it again. You got up and left, but not before you made sure to pay for everyone's lunch. You know, you were not letting them pay for you. (laughs) That's because we earlier in the conversation before I realized um, the direction in which it was heading, we were talking about how in Arabic culture, generosity is synonymous with uh, politeness. So in Arabic culture and in a lot of Middle Eastern cultures, to be generous is to be a good host and is to be polite. So there's a concept called tarof in Persian culture, which means essentially that you're going to fight over who takes the last thing. And it's not that you want it for yourself, it's that you want the other person to take it. So in Arabic culture, you fight over the bill because that's how you're the politest is to be the one to pay. There's so many similarities in our culture. And, you know, I I know that I go to a friend's house and they say, would you like a cup of tea? Oh, no, I'm fine. Thanks. Even if I'm hanging for a drink, you know, a cup of tea. No, no, I'm fine. Thanks. And and they'll say it again. They'll say it again. And then eventually go, oh, sure, look, if you're making one, I that's will. exactly. I mean, in the Persian culture, it's quite hard. Three times. That's it. Whereas in Ireland, you get to know with the different families how it will go, but I would never go to someone's house, you know, kind of that that I don't know very well. I might turn up at your house without a gift, but I wouldn't turn up at other people's homes without something to bring to them. And also quite similar to the Arabic and Persian cultures that generosity, giving gifts, it's a type of politeness, but it's also a type of love and respect, you know, of that family and, and telling them thank you for 
allowing me to be part of your lives. Yeah, you'll never walk away from an Arab's house underfed because part of that is as well that you need to make sure that there's more than enough food on the table. Um, if people finish everything, it means you've failed as a host because you've underprovided. Yep. Again, very similar to the Irish culture. We certainly know how to overfeed. So, yeah, it's it's quite interesting, you know, and I, I think those instances that you have mentioned that happened to you, I must say, I am quite shocked to hear about the, the, the ones when you were in, in secondary school. That's a lot. But these seem to be things that you have learned from and said, I know where my boundaries are. I'm going to respectfully show you my boundaries and ask you to live within them. I think that's quite nice. As you said, you're open to hearing from others. I think that this is an ongoing conversation as well that needs to happen nationwide, not just in Ireland, but in pretty much every country in the world. In my limited experience here, um, in my experience, there's been a lot of racism towards travellers, you know, and there is a lot of prejudice shown towards them. And I think it is because there aren't those conversations happening. You know, it's very much an othering of people and it's very much... uh, instituting a separation between us and them and this is where prejudice grows and this is where racism grows as well because it's by not knowing somebody that they become frightening. Mm. I grew up with travellers around me so to speak in that my mum was um, very heavily involved in the traveller community in Waterford and you know was kind of a worked with them quite a lot to, to get what they needed. I I suppose I didn't grow up with a fear of travellers that I think some of my other friends and family have. And yet I have noticed that that unconscious bias is still there. It's still in me, even though it has been called out time and time again throughout my life. I wonder your, uh, <laughs> I'm going to use another term here, but you're, you're kind of outside of the Irish culture in a way that you've come into the Irish culture from another culture. Do you find it quite overt? Do you do you openly see the the travellers as being others and others in a different way to say Black Irish, Asian Irish, Arab Irish, or is it all you other? Know, you've raised a couple of interesting points there. Like you're talking about that you've noticed yourself that you have some kind of subconscious prejudice. And the thing I think is important to recognize is that all of us have a subconscious prejudice in one way or another. And the thing is that having that subconscious prejudice isn't what makes us a bad person. It's acting on it. And in the same way that we can act on that prejudice, we can also recognize it, examine it and reject it. And I think that's what we need to be doing. Like, you know, if you recognize that within yourself, then you take it and you say, I'm not going to do that. And you put it to one side. And the more often we do that, the more we will erase that prejudice. I think my experience within Ireland is that the situation of the travelers, now I'm coming at this from an outside perspective, obviously, is very different to those that are people of color. And it's because the travellers, although they are ethnically separate, they are white. And so there is an attitude of, well, I can't be racist towards them because they're white and I'm white. So we're all the same. And at the same time as you're saying, well, we're all the same, you're actively othering them. 
Um, and I have seen it in Ireland, you know, all of these kind of things that are prejudices and are unfounded stereotypes, you know. And when you end up thinking like that, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. In Australia, there's quite a big problem with racism towards Aboriginals, towards the Indigenous people of Australia who are black. And one of the problems with that, one, one of the stereotypes with that is that they're alcoholic or they take drugs or they're always um, getting into fights or they're living on the street. And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're unable to get work because of racism, because they're put into living in um, Aboriginal communities together and those communities are underfunded or don't have access to health care or don't especially mental health care you know that's a very relevant one for the traveling community for aboriginals for anybody um, on a lower income and because they don't have access to those things you do end up seeing people turn to alcohol and turn to drugs and it's not a condition that is contingent on them being aboriginal it's a human condition that we turn to things for escapism but in that way it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy that that people look at it and say well look i was right and it's because they're being treated unequally and it's the same with the traveling community because they're being treated unequally then they turn to other ways of making a living they themselves become suspicious of people that are not in the traveling community because how because of how they've been treated and it's completely justified for them to be suspicious of other people i would be too if i was treated the way that they were treated and so really there's a lot of work to be done towards unifying that kind of unifying the Irish community towards unifying the Australian community towards unifying any community and the only way that we can do that is by working together and I don't mean working together to unify with the travelers I mean travelers and other Irish people working together to unify themselves so one of the things you've you've obviously lived in a lot of different countries and you've experienced a lot of different cultures, ethnicities, etc. in your in your life. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the similarities that you can see between all of these different cultures and backgrounds. I wouldn't even say it's a lot of countries. I'd say that a lot of people have me beat on that, you know. Um, but I think I think everywhere has its sort of similarities and differences. And I think that there's something to be said for experiencing different cultures and for celebrating each other's differences and diversities rather than becoming something that is homogenous and just the same, same wherever you go. I think that diversity is something that's incredibly important, especially in understanding one another's viewpoints and practicing empathy. The point, the point of equality is not to have everybody be the same because that's not equality. That's saying that some people have better values than others or uh, a better culture than others. And that's just not the case. The only way to achieve equality is to celebrate one another for the diversities that we bring. So I'm going to bring you back to a word you used earlier, which was homogeny. And, you know, often I think we, we think of globalization and we think that it brings the Western culture to the rest of the world. But maybe that's not necessarily the best way to go. Maybe there's a way that we can have the positives 
of the Western culture, along with the positives of every other culture we have. I, I, and I think that that's something that in the Western world we can get very easily sucked into because what we're taught in history is white history. And a lot of the times there is an assumption that a place has become civilized once it's been colonized by white people and once white people's culture and European culture essentially has been brought to that place, you know. The sense of community that is in some places in Africa, we could really learn a lot from that in the Western world. The same with, like, in Australia, um, you know, you have a lot of contact with Polynesian island culture, and it's the same there, that there is such a strong sense that the community is your family and that the only way to really go forward is to mind one another. And it sounds like such a simple concept, but it's something we haven't got the hang of. You know, we've heard a lot throughout the last year that with the pandemic, there has been a lot of pain. There have been unfortunately a lot of losses, losses of family members, friends, loss of jobs, and some people have really struggled. One of the things I have also heard is that there is an uptake in neighborhoods and in communities of assisting each other. Have you experienced that? I think it's it's fantastic what's happening that that everybody's kind of pulling together and assisting one another, you know, volunteering to buy groceries for people that are at risk or looking out for your neighbors, just calling in on them and saying hello, socially distanced, you know. But I think it's something something that happens like the pandemic where it's really a worldwide crisis really calls on each of us to step back and examine our own privileges and to really kind of take stock of how lucky we are individually. You know, like for me, for example, I'm very grateful because I haven't had my job affected by any of this, nor has my husband. So both of us are in a situation where like, although we're working from home, our income isn't impacted. And I know that like a lot of people have either lost their jobs or they've been furloughed and they're on the PUP payment or something like that. And so, you know, that's one way that I feel very privileged. And I think one thing that should be a silver line for everybody is this sense of community that has built during the pandemic. And I hope that that's something that where the momentum and that kind of feeling can be maintained once things are back to normal. So do you have any ideas of how you might go around this about maintaining this sense of community within your area and your neighborhood? Well, one thing I realized that other than my immediate neighbors, I didn't know the names of a lot of people in my estate I mean, I would have said hello to them and I would have known them by sight, but I didn't know them personally. And I find that now I know them a lot better because we've had more opportunities to interact with one another. There's been more opportunities to pull together to try and make our our neighborhood into a community. Like, for example, our housing estate doesn't have a residence association. And so the green areas in the estate are maintained by individuals. And there was a big push this summer to do some big jobs on it, like pulling up hedges, doing pruning of trees and that kind of thing. And it sounds like something small, but it took a look at a lot of organization and teamwork. And that's not something that I would have seen in this estate before the pandemic. But during the pandemic, it felt like everybody understood that we need to look after each other. And that's sort of a mindset that I'd like to see maintained going forward. And I guess the only way of really achieving that is for each of us to keep that mindset. 
Absolutely. I, I know one of the things that I've thoroughly enjoyed in my neighborhood is, well, first of all, there's a new WhatsApp group. So we get to hear everything that's going on in the neighborhood, which is great. And, and also we get to hear from people need something, you know, which is, is really nice. My, my water went out a, a few weeks ago and I had offers of, I had people knocking on the door with pans of water so that I could cook dinner, you know, which was just lovely. And I really appreciated that. And then like you outside, we have a green area that we all pulled together and pulled apart every weed we could find, pulled it out of the ground and, and made a meadow garden, which was just beautiful. I think it gave us a sense of accomplishment that we wouldn't have had together previously to that. So it was lovely. Really, really nice. So really, I suppose we need to, as you were saying earlier, celebrate the differences of each other to enable us to build this sense of community. And, and yes. maybe like some of these other cultures, think more and focus more about the obligation of taking care of others, of taking care of the community and doing what's best for them, for the, the community as a whole, rather than doing what's best for them as an individual. I think that's a great way of putting it, that if each of us worried about the obligations that we were born with, none of us would have to worry about our rights. Oh, I love that. That's a very interesting way of putting it. Yeah. Because if I adhere to the obligations I have, I'm automatically adhering to the rights that you have as an individual. Wonderful. If you've ever watched the sitcom uh, The Good Place that's available on Netflix, you'll know the concept uh, from Immanuel Kant of what we owe to each other. What we really owe to each other is love and respect. And if you think about what you would do for somebody that you love and respect, there's really no limitations on that. And so if we love and respect our neighbor and our community, what kind of place would that be? if every person was acting in that kind of way. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Exactly. Love thy neighbor. It's the golden rule that's present in almost every world religion. It really then, that shows a similarity we have in all of our religions that we, we don't necessarily always think about. We, we often focus on the differences of, you know, well, I pray once a day and you pray three times a day and someone else might pray five times a day. But those are really superficial differences. The, the core that you're, you're talking about there is this ability and duty to take care of everyone around us, regardless of who they are. So one way that I've had a friend put this is that in religions, the core principles, the core spiritual principles of religion are unchanged over time. And the core principles are very simple in, in most religions. It's love one another, respect one another, care for your neighbor, care for each other, love God. You know, these kind of very simple, very straightforward concepts. It's the worldly concepts that change from religion to religion of what you're talking about. Oh, I pray three times a day. I pray once. I pray on a prayer mat. I pray standing up. These are worldly differences that really, ultimately, they don't matter because we all pray. Ultimately, they don't matter because every religion tells us to love our neighbor. And if we followed those core principles, it wouldn't matter what we did with the worldly ones. And even, I suppose, then for, for the neighbors that don't love us back, um, we're interacting with them in a way and a, with an attitude of love and kindness that almost makes it easier for them to be nice to us, you know? <laughs> this is going to sound really awful, but if you have a three-year-old throwing a tantrum, you don't withdraw your love. 
you continue to love them and do what's best for them. And I think it's the same if you're met with animosity. You don't withdraw your love and respect for that person as a human because every human is born noble. Every human has the potential there within them. So you don't withdraw that love and respect. You might need to protect yourself and set boundaries, but you don't withdraw that kind of feeling of community and that we're all of the same human race. You try to act on it as best you can. That's great. So thank you very much, Sammy. It was really great to talk to you and it was a really lovely discussion. And I appreciate your time and your effort in joining us here. Thank you, it was really fun. Horror. The Conversations Podcast.